Welcome to Zoe Science and Nutrition, where world-leading scientists explain how their research can improve your health. Today, we're talking about organic foods. Organic foods. Hang on, what does that even mean? And how do I know if something's organic? Oh, of course, because organic foods tell you so in massive letters on the packaging, and they cost way more. But as to what makes a food organic, whether eating organic is better for your health, or if the benefits are actually worth the expense, I honestly have no idea. And I don't think I'm the only one. Luckily, Professor Tim Spector is here today with answers. Tim is one of the world's top 100 most cited scientists, my scientific co-founder here at Zoe, and the author of the best-selling book, Food for Life, The New Science of Eating Well. Stick around until the end, and you'll find the answer to our most asked question. Does Tim eat organic or not? Tim. Thank you for joining me today. Fantastic once again. And I think this is going to be fun because we have never talked about organic food before. And I'm actually not sure that you've really talked very much about it publicly at all. First time for me as well. So I'm excited. And I'd like to start as always with our quick fire round of questions. Are you ready, Tim? Go for it. And we're going to be really strict today. Yes, no, or maybe. All right. Are there more nutrients in organic food? Yes. Can pesticides in non-organic food affect our health? Yes. Okay, not sounding too good for the non-organic food so far. Is there one food that you would definitely buy organic? Yes. If you're on a budget, is it crucial you eat organic food? No. And then I'm going to let you have a whole sentence, Tim. What is the one myth about organic food you'd love to dispel? That you can't trust it at all, I think, is the common one, that you can't trust the labels, therefore don't bother. Got it. So it's all a lie, so you might as well just give up and just buy whatever. Ten years ago, I was very skeptical about organic food. I didn't really bother. I just saw it as being expensive. I just thought it was marketing hype, getting us to spend more money on things. So Tim, can we, can we just start at the beginning and explain what does it mean for something to be organic? The key things about organic food are that it doesn't contain antibiotics. Antibiotics are not given in that food chain, not given to the animals. It doesn't contain any pesticides or herbicides or actual chemical additives of any kind. And also the third thing is it doesn't include any artificial fertilizers. So, And Tim, is, what's the difference between a pesticide and a herbicide? A pesticide is also known as an insecticide. So it kills actually the living bugs beetles and other things that are eating the plants. And a herbicide, like Roundup, is something you spray in your garden that kills weeds. So it's actually killing other sorts of plants rather than the first one killing it's sort killing of animals. killing plants and it's also used uh, in organic food production to actually dry out the crops just before you harvest them as a sort of extra way of making the harvest easier. So generally, we, we don't refer to herbicides much, we, we group them together with pesticides. So often if I, you know, people are talking about, they're including herbicides and this chemical, which many people have in their garden called Roundup. They're the general rules. And so when you buy something organic, 
it doesn't guarantee that it's totally free of all these things. It just means the levels will be very much lower. And so just to make sure that I've sort of got that, this organic sort of has these two elements. One is about the way in which the food is being grown. And I sort of think about this as somehow just being less destructive to nature in that environment, right? Like not killing all the bees and everything else. And there's almost a second part, which is how is it healthier for me to consume it because it's got less pesticides and these sorts of things that are on the, on the food. And so is that right, Tim? It's sort of like the combination of both of these as we think about organic? Yes, there's an environmental impact of these products. And we know that, for example, extensive use of fertilizers in fields runs off into our rivers and is actually causing major problems. Uh, other chemicals also leach into killing other animals. And some countries use many more aggressive insecticides, for example, pesticides than, than others. So there's a whole group called organophosphates, which, you know, sort of include the family of sort of nerve agents and things like this, that like Novichok. Okay. Um, <laughs> that some countries like Sweden have completely banned, but are uh, very common in the US and uh, used at sort of low levels in the EU, but still allowed. And obviously around the world, there's very different rules. If you're getting food from Asia or India or, or you know, you don't really know what's been used in those countries. So I'm listening to this and thinking I probably don't want nerve agents in my salad. But tell me, Tim, you know, how worried should I be about pesticides in the foods that I eat? So most of these pesticides are checked to be safe in humans by studying mice and rats and seeing if it gives them cancer or what happens to their liver or other organs. They generally pass those tests, but they've never looked at other aspects, more subtle aspects of what happens to them. So these studies where rats are given organophosphates and you can see changes in their gut microbes means that they produce chemicals. And we've talked before about the gut microbiome as little chemical factories. And depending on how they're triggered, they'll produce different chemicals, vitamins in response to that. So these produce kind of weird chemicals when they're given uh, organophosphates to eat. They respond differently, cause abnormalities, and can switch in the rat, at least, some of the sex hormones, so the phytoestrogens that uh, occur naturally. So th there's cause for concern based on rat and, and mouse studies, but I never believe them on their own. It's only in mice, only in rats. You can actually produce any result if you really want to, just by doing 20 experiments and picking the one that worked. No one, no one generally publishes the other 19. So big human studies are the ones to go for. And then you've got, as usual, this whole range of epidemiology. So from the observational study, that we just take a group of people that you follow for like 10 years and ask them based on their starting diets, you know, did you ever eat organic, yes or no? And often, because we weren't thinking about it 10, 20 years ago, the data is quite crude. So there's one study from Belgium that followed 58,000 Belgians and found that people who ate non-organic food ended up putting on more weight than people who ate organic food. Now, that could be totally... A health bias, right? I was going to say, we, this is one of the things we talk about all the time, right? Which is that people don't 
they're not like rats. You can't make them do what you want them to do. So people have this whole bundle of their behaviors. So presumably people who eat organic food tend to also be like they smoke less and they are more careful about what else they eat and they probably are healthier. And so this stuff is very hard yes, to untangle, they, right, in the studies you're describing where they're just observational. You're not... They, they observe it, but they do try and adjust in their models for the fact these healthy effects that you're describing. So they would adjust for smoking, adjust for exercise, adjust for education level, et cetera, et cetera. And they still find it. But it was a one-off, and no other studies really shown differences in weight. Then there was another study in the UK of six, 680,000 people. Again, a rather crude study because they're very large numbers, and they, that has a yes-no, do you eat organic foods or not? But they did have good data on cancers, and they didn't find any big effect on cancers in that study, but they did show an increase in one cancer called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a cancer of the blood, not that common, but they had increased rates. Then there was the Nutrisante study, which has actually much more detailed information because it's really been designed for studying nutrition, and they've done similar studies on ultra-processed foods, and they've followed about 58,000 people, I think it is, for a period, I think it's about nine years. And they found a increased risk of most cancers by about 25%, uh, including non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the people that weren't taking organic food. And the, the organic food group were protected by about 25%. So that was... So that's uh, a huge difference, right? 25% lower risk of cancer. How do you... So and some of that could still be this fact you haven't adjusted for these healthy behaviors, but it's big enough to think there might still be uh, something real in there. And again, this other interesting finding, this non-Hodgkin's lymphoma comes up again. And also there was interesting things in breast cancer went up after the menopause. And so certainly, again, just ratcheting up our, our slight worry about this. Obviously, that's just organic versus non-organic. If you took the people taking glyphosate, this is exposed to glyphosate Roundup, which is what... Can you explain what, what that Roundup is? Roundup is this uh, herbicide that is in most weed killers. And you looked at people with high exposures uh, because they're doing parks or sports fields or spraying, uh, or spraying crops, for example... The epidemiology studies, they overall suggest there is a, a slight increase in cancers, and again, particularly non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So there is some evidence that cancers are increased through long-term exposure to uh, these chemicals. It's far from proven, but there is this strong link with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which seems to be more consistent than the other data. So cause for concern that way. There's also, there was a meta-analysis of about 20 small studies looking at infertility and problems during pregnancy. Again, suggesting a slight effect, but the, the studies were not well performed, and so low quality. So our sort of clarity on, on saying, yes, it definitely does that is not quite there. The, and there was also several studies looking at um, attention deficit in, in younger children, showing there was a, a relationship there. Again, poor quality studies, but enough to be concerned that we should be sorting this out in a way that we, you know, no one is really addressing. And 
the final study actually comes from um, our own twins, where we were the only ones to look at the effect of organic food on the gut microbiome. It was an observational study. We took 60, um, I think, four pairs of our twins, working with some uh, environmental epidemiologists. Uh, Robin Minaj was leading the study and uh, looked at several hundred different residues, insecticides and herbicides, and found that nearly everybody had uh, some organophosphates residue type residues in their blood and urine. And so just to make sure that I've got there, this is where I'm happily eating my pears and my apples and my leeks and whatever. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not out in the garden spraying this on my hands. This is from the food I'm eating. And you're saying that I went into your uh, hospital lab along with, you know, 10,000 other twins and you took my blood and you could actually find bits of this, uh, you know, remnants of this pesticide in in my blood. Is that Yes, Is I think right? it was over 90% or something. At, uh, so we, almost everybody had some. Yeah, so in your blood and urine, nearly everyone's got these insecticides, and about 50% of people um, had detectable levels of these herbicides, the glyphosate, the Roundup. And we looked at the gut microbes to see if the uh, these chemicals were having an effect. Was there a difference between people with high exposures, high levels in their blood and urine versus low levels? And there was a, a clear correlation. And so people who were eating more fruits and vegetables had higher levels of uh, these, these chemicals. And they also had different changes in their gut microbes. So the gut microbes were producing different chemicals in response. Hi. I hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot. If you're not already a regular listener, I hope you feel like you might come back. Make sure to hit the follow button so you know whenever a new episode arrives. We release each week ad-free as part of our mission to improve the health of millions. To help us, I'd love for you to share the episode with one person you think could benefit. Okay, let's get back to the show. So, so people listening to this could be like, oh, so that's great. I'm going to give up my fruit and vegetables and I'm going to go back to my meat and um, you know, saturated fat diet and I'm going to avoid all these horrible risks, Tim, that you're talking about that I might get more cancer. Like, Is that the right takeaway from this? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, if you go back, you know, obviously people who eat lots of fruits and vegetables uh, compared to people who, who don't or are you know, on ultra-processed food diets of minimal fiber are likely to live 10 years longer and have half the risk of heart disease, diabetes, uh, dementia, all the common chronic diseases. We've known that, that the fiber is really important, the plants are really important, the um, polyphenols, the defense chemicals in plants are really important for all bits of our body. Now, what we're talking about here is, I think, a possible 10% increase in cancer risk, which, you know, in terms of a lifetime risk is a fairly small one for vast majority of people. And not every cancer, we're only talking about a few specific ones where there's, there's evidence. And something like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is a rare cancer most people haven't heard of. I don't know the exact rates, but it, it's going to be less than 
one in a few hundred people get it. You know, I haven't given up eating fruits and vegetables when I can't find organic, okay? To me, the advantages far outweigh any risks. So we're talking about a subtle difference here that probably only makes a difference if we're having them regularly and, you know, for decades. But we'd still rather not have all of these pesticides We'd definitely rather in not have it, food, particularly, particularly at certain times in life where, you know, I don't think we talk much enough about it, but there's critical times of pregnancy or feeding young children when, you know, there's so much happening to the body, the brain, and really don't want unwanted chemicals washing around that have all these effects we still don't really understand, you know, unless there's no way around it. Now, you, we've talked a lot about sort of the negative things that might come from pesticides and therefore organic food is is almost just sort of saying, oh, well, at least it's got less of those bad things. But one of the things I've heard is, well, that organic food is supposed to have more nutrients in it. And that's part of why the, the idea that the soil is alive with its own microbiome, all these things is better. Is there any truth in this, Tim, or is that just good marketing? Uh, there is some truth in this. And there was a meta-analysis about eight years ago, about 300 tiny little studies that put them all together. And it showed that on average, the organic produce had uh, more minerals in it. It had less cadmium, which is like a toxic mineral. And importantly for for me, it had around 30 to 40% more polyphenols. 30 to 40%. Okay, so that's enormous. So that's like, you know, increasing your polyphenol intake by 30 or 40%. And that really is important. So just to remind people, that's the defense chemical that you find in plants that occurs naturally and is in the often the tips of leaves or the, the bitter part or it's in the berries or these things naturally. So uh, these are the things that naturally protect the plant against uh, insects and the environment that it turns out the the organic ones who are raised in our sort of traditional ways have more of and i think that's really fascinating because there's no one's exactly sure why the the hypothesis i like is the fact that if you if you surround these these plants with uh, insecticides and spray use have taken away their, um, you don't need that defense, and you give them masses of fertilizer so they just grow. So all they really want to do is grow. They're just like these giant sumo babies that are growing big and fat as fast as possible. And the environment is like super easy for them. And they have no defenses. And so, you know, if you grow too fast, um, you're likely to get, have a really bad immune system because the focus is on growth, not on prevention. I, I love defense. this. So it's a bit like, so they are like the plant equivalent of um, Homo sapiens living here in the 21st century in the developed world, are they? Where, you know, we can sit on the sofa all day, we don't need to do anything, and we now know that you really need to go to the gym. It's really important for your health. And you're saying it's a bit similar that the yeah. plants, the environment is not they're stressed couch, enough. They are really couch potatoes. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting there in the sun. Everything's done for them. They don't have to bother. They don't have to produce these defense chemicals like they used to. Because and they're no longer fighting off these insects. And also, I guess they always get the right water and they get the right fertilizer. And that means, I guess, thinking back to some of the things you've talked about, the microbiome, that they end up being 
different from the sort of foods we might have eaten until uh, you know a hundred years ago. So they have a lot less of these chemicals that you know our, our bodies would have just assumed they would get naturally with the food because you know way back in in the past, like no plants were being treated like this. So everything presumably had all of these defense chemicals because they were all in this fight for survival. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing, you know, if you look at how chickens have evolved, um, how we've you know, grown these massive uh, chickens in just a few weeks, they don't have anything like the nutrients and things of the old scrawny chickens that uh, we used to eat. And I think this is all our food has been primed for growth and size and to look good. But it uh, when, you, when you look into the detail, you're, you're getting actually less of the things that you need. So if you do buy the organic equivalent, you're going to be getting around 40% more polyphenols, less toxins in there, um, slightly more minerals on average, and you you are going to be getting a, a slightly better product. So the idea that it was a con, which was what I believed 10 years ago, uh, is, is not really true. I just want to pause for a second. I thought this episode was fantastic. I hope you've learned something. As a Zoe listener, by now you probably know a lot about the gut microbiome. But wouldn't you like to know how yours is doing? As part of being a Zoe member, you receive an at-home test that will reveal the exact bacteria that are inside you and show you how to improve your gut microbiome. I do this regularly, and it's had a massive impact on my health. I and the whole team at Zoe would love you to join us and become a Zoe member. We do realize, however, that not everyone is ready for personalized nutrition and that for others, it's still too expensive. And that's why we put this show out for free each week without ads. If you are ready for Zoe, then go to joinzoe.com podcast and get 10% off so you can start your own journey to improve your health today. Right, let's get back to the interview. So I'm going to ask the question that our listeners have really wanted to ask from the beginning. It was like our number one question that we got from all the listeners beforehand, which is, Tim, do you eat organic food? I do, Jonathan, yes. Um, I know you might be surprised because when I'm out traveling, I don't insist on organic food. No, that's right. You generally seem quite relaxed about it and much more focused on whether you're eating like plants. Yeah, exactly. Getting a diversity of plants is my number one priority. And I know it's hard to get diversity of plants and organic. And so that bar is just really too high, especially when you're traveling and you're sort of, you don't have those options you, you do at home. But at home, uh, I would say 75% um, of what I'm eating uh, in, in terms of plants, fruits and vegetables, et cetera, is organic. And are you eating this organic food because you're worrying about cancer or are you eating this organic food because you're thinking you're getting like, more of those sort of good polyphenols you were talking about. I got really into this as I was, you know, six years ago, I started writing my book, Food for Life, which has a big section on this if anyone's interested. It wasn't just about cancer. There was this, you know, these polyphenols. It was the microbiome aspect of it. I didn't really want lots of extra chemicals for decades going to my microbiome that on the one hand, I was trying to build up in a good way. So this was just seemed to be detrimental. And you know, I can now afford it. So that's what I, uh, I've now done. So I've changed my views uh, on organic produce. But I think people shouldn't worry too much about things that they only do occasionally. I think what we're seeing here is this is something 
that you worry about for things that are in your diet regularly and you're going to be having them regularly for years. So, so can we talk about that for a minute? Because I important. think, um, you know, you're in the nice position where, you know, your children have grown up and you're affluent enough to be able to, to do this with a lot, a lot of pressure. Organic food is really expensive. How should people think about those trade-offs? And I'd love to talk about maybe are there particular foods where um, you know these levels of the pesticides and everything are really high, and you should be really worried versus others. What are the foods where the pesticides well, are likely to be worst? Breakfast cereals that contain oats. Okay, that's incredibly surprising. I thought you were going to give me a fruit. Tell me so about what, oats. So oats, uh, because they're uh, often. Um, raised in, in damp countries, they are sprayed just before they're harvested to dry them out. Okay. And so this gives them masses amounts. And because they're wet, they absorb all, all that glyphosate. And so their levels are five to 10 times more than many other, other grains. So that is something that is not, not particularly a health food that I think uh, people should go out of their way if they do love oats. And I know you used to be a oat, big oat, oat uh, eater, although you're not anymore. Um, you know, and you can afford it. Either switch to something else or, or go for a jump. Particularly if you're trying to give your kids something which you think is healthy, I think that you could be giving them high levels of, uh, particularly this herbicide, glyphosate. Rice is another one that came up uh, interestingly uh, in in some surveys as being quite high in pesticides. And we do know that if you get Certain areas of India and um, Pakistan do a problem with runoff of arsenic into rice paddy fields. So, you know, if you're getting cheap rice from certain places, you may be ingesting a lot of chemicals. And in general, uh, fruits and vegetables that are contain a lot of water uh, will tend to absorb these chemicals more than others. And where they particularly attract insects as well. So cucumbers, pears, nectarines, these tend to have uh, quite high uh, concentrations. And everyone loves strawberries. I love strawberries. But in tests in the US and the UK, they commonly get tested as being above the safety levels. So we have these standard safety levels. And this is again for these herbicides you're talking about? Uh, This is pesticides Pesticides and and herbicides. So these are the insecticides and the posts, so the organophosphates and all the and the, the glyphosates, really high levels. That's the sort of thing you should be, be wary of. If you have, you know, strawberries just once a year, it's probably not worth worrying about it. But if this is like part of your uh, regular thing, just see if, you know, you can get organic strawberries because... Or presumably swap to a different fruit that has lower yes. levels. And other berries, I mean, you know, I now, I didn't used to, but I now try and get organic uh, blueberries if I can. Uh, you can often get them frozen, interestingly, they, and they're not very expensive if you uh, you buy the frozen organic berries and you stick them in the freezer. I was just thinking about this this morning. Um, I get a lot of organic tinned food and a lot of organic frozen food because after podcasts that we've done in the past where I, I've discovered that actually like frozen vegetables and um, tinned vegetables are, are good, we now cook a lot of that at home. And what's interesting is that, you know, the, the, the price of still like organic tinned beans is still incredibly cheap. So is that one of the areas that, uh, again, Absolutely, you could... yeah. I know you picked up on three really good tips for people is, 
yeah, organic frozen food is, is really good. They don't have the same costs because it obviously it probably costs more to transport organic food because it does go off quicker. So you've got to be much faster. You can't just leave it around in warehouses for uh, as long as possible. You know, we don't tend to store them in those chemical bags and things. Um, so that's a good tip about frozen foods. Canned foods, I think beans do come up in some surveys as being high in pesticides. So buying, paying, you know, 10p extra or whatever for an organic bean uh, can uh, is is good value compared to the fresh one. It's all a bit scary. You're talking about like these pesticides and herbicides. What can I, what can I do if I've if I've got this? Can I, you know, can I wash this? You know, I was always brought up by my mother. Interestingly, like I should wash the fruit. Washing helps, but it doesn't and get it down to organic levels. <laughs> but it doesn't get it down anywhere near to organic levels. Okay. So you remove a little bit of it, and you can peel them. If you can't get an organic one, you know, probably peeling it gets rid of perhaps half, but you're still, a lot of it might go beyond the skin. So another little trick is if you're washing stuff, add some sodium bicarbonate, baking soda. That is very good at removing. Does that take a lot more of this yes, away? a lot better than just water. So that's a little tip that doesn't cost it to cost anything. But there are certain fruits and vegetables that are actually pretty safe. Zoe's favorite fruit, the avocado, is uh, which we know is pretty generally healthy, seems to absorb the herbicides and, and insecticides on the skin. So you don't eat the skin, so you're eating the flesh, and that's pretty free of any, any nasty problems. Similarly, an onion, you peel away, you don't eat the onion skin, so that's really well protected. There, there are other examples like that that are more the drier fruits and vegetables that don't absorb the water that have got a, a skin. Mango is another one. They're actually uh, pretty good because, again, you're not eating the skin. So there, there's a, a, a list of, of ones you don't have to worry about. The U.S. has a list of these. Each year, that they, they do produce a, a list of the 15 best and the 15 worst uh, offenders that people can look at, although each country is going to vary. And locally, you know, the amount of uh, spraying and things will vary a lot. We know that certain parts of the UK, like if you live in uh, Norfolk, the spraying is, is enormous. So it's very hard to avoid some of that on most of the produce, whereas other bits of the country, um, the produce has much less. And I definitely have this vision that this is particularly bad in the States. Is this true? Rules are much laxer in the States. Uh, they allow more organophosphate use, more um, more chemicals that are banned in Europe. And I think there's generally much less checking of these levels. So the levels are generally higher in the US. And we've talked about antibiotic levels. They're, they're also much higher still. And the general chemicals used in, in agriculture, it's still a bit the Wild West. So your differential to moving to organic is going to be even higher there then? It is, yes. And there are, there are different big differences between countries as well and the pricing as well. It's interesting there are many countries in Europe where perhaps 25% of the, of the produce is organic, places like Sweden, Austria, etc. In this country, we're probably below 3%. In the UK, I think it's uh, similarly low levels in the US, but luckily it is really growing fast. So it, it, it is sort of doubling uh, every 10 years. So I think it's a movement that's not going to go away. 
and it's something that everyone needs to know about. Well, Tim, you're definitely convincing me that I should be buying more organic food next week than I was last week. Um, we asked this question right at the beginning, and I just want to get the the clear answer to it. We said, you know, if there was one food that you were going to buy organically, what would it be? And I'd love to get the answer. It would probably be tomatoes, actually, because I eat tomatoes nearly every day. And so uh, I think... To me, that's more important. I was going to say strawberries because I, I love strawberries, but I don't have them every day. You've got to think of that long-term exposure of, of foods and getting high-quality tomatoes. I've tasted Italian and Spanish ones, and not only they taste better, but you know, if you can get the organic versions of those, they are, they are pretty incredible. But again, you can get a can of organic uh, tomatoes for not much more than the uh, non-organic version. So it's, it's about people thinking for themselves about what they would change, what do they have regularly, what could they improve that would make a much bigger difference to their long-term health. Brilliant, Tim. Thank you so much. What I'd love to do is a little summary to try and cover all the different areas that we've gone through today. So firstly, we talked about what's organic food, and the key thing actually is what's not in it. So what I understood is you don't apply pesticides, you don't apply fertilizers, you don't have antibiotics if it's um, in an animal. Then we talked about does it really matter for our health, and, and I think my takeaway was it's not totally clear. There's a bunch of studies. The biggest question seems to be about cancer risk, and I think that what's clear is it's not a massive difference or it would be really clear, but that I think you think that, you know, there is some area of risk and particularly maybe for one or two particular cancers. The net result of this, I think, is that you were saying you should be particularly cautious if you're pregnant or if you're feeding sort of small children because you're at that point where everything's been being grown. And at the same time, in comparison to the benefits of eating fruits and vegetables, this risk is really small. And so you would definitely say, eat a plant, eat, eat a fruit, even if it's not organic versus something else, that's so much better. But if you have the ability to sort of afford these choices, then organic is good. And that actually a big part of that is because of the extra stuff you get. So you're saying it has maybe 30 or 40% more of these polyphenols that you talk a lot about as being like the, the food for our microbes. Even if I can't taste the difference, you know, my microbes can. So try and feed them that way if you can. We talked a bit about what you do and you said that you're probably eating, I think, 70% organic. And so that's a big change from 10 years ago when you were very suspicious and actually you've come to the view that it is better. And then I think we talked about some specific things that you should worry about. And uh, I was amazed to hear oats and interestingly, strawberries also as one of the highest. But on the other hand, things like avocados you mentioned, actually really low. And my overall takeaway was, you know, there isn't a sort of you must do this completely it's more like think about how you might be able to introduce this if you can't afford it don't stress too much what you might be able to do though is to look at some of the things particularly sort of tinned and, and frozen for example where you might actually be able to shift quite a bit and it might still in fact be cheaper than the things that you're buying buying fresh so there is a there is a range here and I guess as always you would love there to be much more research so that these answers were were clearer than I guess you're able to give today Tim yeah, we should be definitely pushing for more research, especially on the microbiome, long-term effects. But also we should be pushing for transparency on labels, you know, 
how does this food rank in terms of its insecticide and pesticide levels? Just, you know, so the customer knows exactly what they're buying and they're not having to, you know, go and read my book every time they're in a supermarket. You know, in everything we're talking about, it's about transparency in food so people can make their own choices given the right information and it's not hidden. Brilliant. Tim, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, as always, I've learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Pleasure. Thank you, Tim, for joining me on Zoe's Science and Nutrition today. If you want to understand how to support your body with the best foods for your health, then you may want to try Zoe's personalized nutrition program. You can get 10% off by going to joinzoe.com podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jonathan Wolf. Zoe Science and Nutrition is produced by Yella Hewins-Martin, Richard Willen, and Alex Jones. See you next time.